coming up on Philosophy Talk. Your Excellency, I thought you left. Oh, no, I don't leave. But I saw you with my own eyes. Well, who are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? Your lying eyes, perception, memory, and justice. Memory's on the lie. Ah, please. No, 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 really. Memory's not perfect. It's not even that good. Prosecutors rely on eyewitnesses. Too much? Look, memory can change the shape of a room. It can change the color of a car. And memories can be distorted. They're just an interpretation. They're not a record. You can't. Let's be clear, nobody is saying we should just stop relying on eyewitness testimony. Our guest is Daniel Riesberg, author of The Science of Perception and Memory, A Pragmatic Guide for the Justice System. But what is, I think, amazing is just how little it takes to pull memory off track. Your Lying Eyes, coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the campus of Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken teaches philosophy and I did for 40 years. 40 wonderful years, John. Welcome everyone to Philosophy Talk. Now, we're calling this episode, Your Lying Eyes, Perception, Memory, and Justice. Eyewitness testimony is crucial. It can make or break a criminal trial. Yeah, but John, the question is, can eyewitness testimony really be trusted? What what were we talking about? Oh, (laughs) when you're old like me, Your eyes do start to deceive you, and memory can turn into a pretty fickle friend. Yeah, but it's not just the effects of aging that I'm thinking about. Psychological research, John, reveals a lot of really deeply troubling facts about human perception and human memory. They're they're kind of independent of age, but they're enough to make me wonder, at least, if we can ever rely on eyewitness testimony. Ah, Ken, you're being an alarmist as usual. You gotta have faith in America's genius, our adversarial system of justice. Effective cross-examination works wonders for ferreting out the truth. Don't you watch Perry Mason reruns? John, I actually think that the adversarial system makes things worse, not better. Think about the number of people wrongly convicted on the basis of supposedly reliable eyewitness testimony. You know, about 73% of all convictions overturned through DNA evidence were originally based on eyewitness testimony. Now ask yourself, why do we have all those wrongful convictions if our system is such a genius? One wrongful conviction is one too many. We can all agree on that, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Most eyewitnesses probably get it mostly right most of the time. Gee, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement for the reliability of eyewitness testimony, John. Well, what's the alternative? Ouija boards? I mean, with proper safeguards, we have no choice and no reason not to trust eyewitness testimony. We can surely rely on the perception and memory for normal people in everyday life most of the time. Yeah, but there's a lot more at stake in the courtroom 
than in everyday life. Let's put you to the test here, John. I want you to suppose you were a witness to a serious crime, maybe a bank robbery. Let's assume you saw it up close and personal. Maybe you came face to face with the robber. Well, thank you. I just as soon not have that experience. Yeah, okay, I know that. But the question is, do you think you'd be a good witness? Well, old age aside, I'm a pretty observant fellow. Yeah, you are pretty observant. I recognize you almost every time we yes, meet. Yes, yes, Don, you're observant. I admit that. But you got to admit, you'd find it a pretty stressful and emotional situation, wouldn't you? Well, of course I would. A guy has a gun in my face and robbing me, yes, probably I would be a little bit stressed. You know, well, here's the point, though. Scientists have shown that stress and emotion have pretty severe effects on our ability to recall things accurately. Do you think you'd be immune from the effects of emotional stress on memory in that situation? Well, no, probably not. But I think if I came to face to face with a guy holding a gun and robbing a bank I was in, uh, that face would be etched on my memory for a long time. Ah, you think so. There's something called the weapon effect. Did you know that when people witness a crime involving a weapon, they actually tend to focus on the weapon and not at all on the face? Well, maybe at first that's sort of natural, but I'm sure I would start to mentally note his physical features, height, weight, general facial features, ethnicity, tattoos, scars. You know, I mean, I, I, I watch TV. I know how it's done. <laughs> yeah, John. John. John, do you know how many people think they got a good look at a face in a stressful situation like that when they really didn't? Do you know how often our supposed memories of, of, of things like faces actually just sort of made up? Oh, come on, Ken. You mean witnesses in criminal cases really just set out to make up no, lies? No, I'm not saying it's, they do it on purpose. People aren't deliberately lying about what they think they saw, but far too often their memories, and especially their confidence in their memories, I'm sure I saw that guy in the are inadvertently enhanced by poorly trained, overzealous uh, police officers and prosecutors eager for a conviction and less concerned about truth, John. And now you're dumping on the police and the prosecutors, just like everybody. Do you think they really don't want to get it right? Do you think they want to get false convictions? That's not what I'm saying. But if they aren't adequately sensitized to the pitfalls of eyewitness testimony, they could end up, despite their best intention, unwittingly leading witnesses into being much more certain of what they actually saw than they deserve to be. They can even cause them to be convinced that they saw things that the objective facts prove they couldn't have seen, that they never saw, John. You're painting a pretty bleak picture, Ken. That's just the start of it. The worst thing about is that we haven't even begun to grapple with the social cost of a criminal justice system that relies far too much on far too unreliable eyewitness testimony, John. It's a mess. Well, there you have a point. And to help us start thinking about those costs, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, out to speak with a man who spent years in prison because of a false eyewitness identification. She files this report. In 1994, in the town of Waukegan, Illinois, a young white woman was kidnapped from her apartment by two Latino men. She was forced into a car, taken to a backyard, and then raped. Angel Gonzalez happened to be nearby. By coincidence, I was visiting uh, my ex-girlfriend's uh, sister house. She lives in the same apartment right across from the apartment where the victim lives. Besides being a young Latino man, Gonzalez didn't match the description of the attackers. 
He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Cops pulled him over that night with guns drawn. The victim was taken to Gonzalez's car to identify him. She ID'd him as the attacker from a distance, from the back of a patrol car, with headlights shining on Gonzalez. He spent the night in jail and signed a confession the next day, in English, even though he couldn't speak or read a word of it. He had just moved here from Mexico. Gonzalez spent the next 20 years behind bars. The prison was pretty much run by the inmates and the inside, so there was a lot of crazy things that going on on a daily basis. After learning English and getting a high school degree in prison, Gonzalez was released on March 10th, 2015. DNA evidence proved he was innocent all along. Gonzalez is not alone. Eyewitness misidentification played a role in almost three quarters of the convictions overturned through DNA testing. It's the single greatest cause of wrongful convictions in the U.S. What happened to Gonzalez is called a show up. The victim shows up to where a suspect was found and IDs him on the spot. Show-ups are actually very, very troublesome. Um, we know that show-ups occurred with some frequency in the DNA exoneration cases. That's Karen Neuwirth. She's a lawyer with the Innocence Project, a group that helps wrongfully convicted people get out of prison. When individuals are presented in a show-up, there's a lot of very suggestive context, right? They're, they may be handcuffed, they may be standing in front of a marked police car under bright lights. Um, all of this cues the witness to believe that this is um, a bad person who did the crime. One of Neuwirth's jobs is to explain to lawyers and judges that the human mind is not a tape recorder. Memory can be influenced and altered by many things. The lighting conditions, the distance, um, if the witness and the perpetrator were of different races, um, if a weapon was present. So all of these things will affect the strength of the initial memory. Neuwirth says one solution is to change police procedures to make them more consistent with the social science research on memory. Using instructions to the witness that say, uh, this may or may not be the perpetrator, don't feel compelled to make an identification, the investigation will continue whether or not you make an identification. And those instructions are designed to counter the witness's natural assumption that because they're being shown someone, that person must have done it. Techniques like this may have kept Angel Gonzalez out of prison. Instead, he lost 20 years of his life. But Gonzalez says he now has a new appreciation for life itself. For example, I was looking at a tree one day and a few people stopped and looked at the tree and they asked me what kind of animal I was looking at. Like, and I'm not looking at an animal, I'm looking at the branches of the tree. So just the smallest things now, they, they bring me happiness. Today, Angel Gonzalez lives alone in Chicago. He makes a living doing tune-ups on his friends' cars. Reintegration into society has been hard. He wants to go back to school and learn more about the technologies he's missed the past two decades, like how to use a computer. But most importantly, Gonzalez wants to help groups like the Innocence Project so that innocent people like him don't spend time behind prison walls. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. To hear the rest of this program, head to philosophytalk.org. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking.